All right, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, February 14th. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, I guess. It's a terrible holiday. I hate it. Uh, I don't celebrate it. Like, my girlfriend's coming over. We're going to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm together, the show with Larry David. Uh, but we probably would have done that anyway. And we're going to make dinner, and that's, again, would have done it anyway. Um, my whole thing on Valentine's Day, just tell the people you love them. You know, get them flowers, get them roses, get them chocolates. Do, you know, get them, do nice stuff for the person you're dating, for sure, or married to. But do it every day. Don't do it because it's the special day you're supposed to do it. You know, I, that's my whole opinion on Valentine's Day. It's like, can we just tell each other we love each other every day rather than on the special day you're supposed to do it? Um, I don't know. I also got to say, I have a sinus infection. <laughs> I went to the doctor yesterday and they're like, yeah, uh, you're, you're like messed up badly. Like you've had a sinus infection for a long, long time. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. That explains this whole situation in my face that hurts all the time. Uh, so it'll be fun. Just, I, I'm going to solve that. That'll be cool. Look forward to, uh, maybe not feeling super congested in a little while. Um, it'll be a huge show today. We're going to talk about, uh, some of the new NFL head coaches that were hired, we're going to talk about the Raiders. We're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to talk about why I hate the Hall of Fame. And we're going to end today's show with a really cool segment called, I'm going to call it Career Funerals. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be uh, unique and interesting. And I think it's got, a, it's got a great title. I can't wait to get into it later. But I do want to start today with this. About this time last year, you know, January, February 2019, Eight new NFL head coaches were hired. And at the time, I ranked them, and I, I got a lot of stuff wrong, I'll be honest. Uh, so what I want to do is revisit that topic, discuss what happened, how things went down, and ultimately what I want to do is re-rank the eight head coaches that were hired going into last year. But rather than ranking them number one through eight, I came up with five different tiers that they all fit into. So like the, the first tier is the two best coaches, the next tier is coaches that have good futures ahead of them. The third tier is coaches that, you know, we got to just kind of wait and see. The fourth tier is the bad coach. There was a coach that was just bad. And the fifth tier was the coach that got fired. And so let's start with the obvious one. The coach that got fired was the Browns hired and then fired Freddie Kitchens after just one season. And I hate to admit it, it's embarrassing, but I was actually optimistic when they hired Freddie Kitchens. I think it's just because I eternally would like to see the Browns not be a miserable, horrible organization. I had an optimistic view, uh, and I hate to admit that I was very much wrong. Uh, but, you know, Freddie Kitchens had worked with Baker Mayfield in the past. And unfortunately, I just gave the Browns far too much credit and far too much respect. All the signs were there that this was a terrible, terrible hire. He'd never been a head coach before. You know, he was retained from the previous staff. But I just chose to believe. My dumb self thought... Man, even the Browns wouldn't really hire a guy who has no idea what he's doing, right? Oh, I was wrong. Oh, man, that's exactly what they did. The Browns hired a guy who, oh, he just he had no idea what he was doing. It's, it's so painfully clear. It's harsh. It's true. Not very often. Like Often people, like especially fans of sports, go, the guy is terrible. He's an idiot. And usually I go, you're just being harsh. You don't know the game very well. No, in this case... Uh, Freddie Kitchens, you know, nothing but love. He's a great position coach, should never have been a head coach. Um, 
He was in way over his head from day one. He could not even manage. He really couldn't. He struggled to manage the Browns' star players. He misused them a lot on offense. His play calls were terrible. He called a, a draw, like a, literally called a running play on fourth and nine. Um, he just could never make adjustments on offense. There are so many things from organizational standards to the way he called plays to the way he made adjustments. Everything was wrong. Freddie Kitchens had no idea what he was doing, was in way over his head. And, um, you know, now he's the he's now the Giants tight ends coach. That's great. That's exactly where he belongs. He should never have been a head coach. It's kind of a look up the Peter principle. That's exactly what happened to Freddie Kitchens. And so he was by far the worst hire. And he's the one that got fired justifiably after just one season. Now, let's go back to the top of the list, though. There are we'll start with the two best coaches that were hired last year in 2019. And then we will go down from there. The two best coaches that were hired Last offseason were, number one, the Packers hiring Matt LaFleur, and number two, the Dolphins hiring Brian Flores. Now, here's the irony in all of this, right? right? I, I am very clear. I try to admit when I'm wrong about stuff. And what's funny is that I believe in my initial ranking a year ago, I believe I ranked these two guys the two worst coaches that were hired. <laughs> I was like, the Dolphins hired a defensive-minded coach who is an assistant of the Patriots. Mm, we've seen that before. That doesn't work. What about young Josh Rosen? You want to get a guy, an offensive guy, to help the young quarterback. Man, I just whiffed. I was totally wrong. Brian Flores has been phenomenal. And the Packers, Matt LaFleur was 39 years old. Aaron Rodgers, 35. I'm like, they're basically the same age. They could be, they're more like brothers in age than they would be more likely to have a coach-to-player relationship. I'm like, there's no way Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers works, right? No, no, no. Uh, Again, Zach was... Very, very wrong. Uh, the Packers went 13-3. and They won the NFC North. They made it all the way to the NFC Championship game. They were embarrassed by the 49ers. But hey, still a great season. My only concern about Matt LaFleur is the longevity of the Packers' success. You know, the Packers... <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, is getting older and older. And, you know, the Packers did go 13-3, and but the way they did it was ugly. Rodgers wasn't great. It was a lot of defensive struggles. And Rodgers was fine. But he certainly isn't the star quarterback he once was. And so my, my only question, I love the Matt LaFleur hire. Clearly, he was the right guy for the job. He elevated the Packers. But the question is, where will the Packers be three years from now? When Aaron Rodgers is said and done and time has taken its toll on the Packers organization, where will they be years from now? I have no idea. But for now, it's very clear. Yeah, Matt LaFleur was the right guy for the job. And for at least for last year, he did a great job. Now, the Dolphins on paper didn't have a great year. The Dolphins went to 5-11. and 11. They have the fifth overall pick coming up in the NFL draft. But you can't just trust stats and numbers. I have never seen a team improve more over the course of a season than what we saw with the 2019 Dolphins. The, the Dolphins got dramatically, dramatically better from week one to the end of the year. They're not a very talented roster. Uh, in fact, they're, it's an awful roster. There's just not a lot of talent there but they're well coached. It's pretty interesting. In the first two weeks of the season, they were destroyed by the Ravens, 40, see, 59 to 10. They lost to the Ravens week one. And then week two, in Miami, at home, they got beat by the Patriots 43 to zero. <laughs> they were embarrassed by the Patriots week two. But slowly but surely, the team, the, the Dolphins made strides. They got better and better. If you go watch the film, guys, really improved. They started making plays. They stepped up. Some, some guys you'd never heard of started emerging. 
guys that were interns at the beginning of the year, literally like their jokes were like, I guys a walk on an intern. I've never heard of him. And I'm telling you, the Dolphins had the best five win season I've ever seen in my life. I was like, oh, wow. And the cool thing is it all culminated with a week 17 victory of the Patriots. The Patriots were trying to win. If the Patriots had won the game, they would have had a first round bye in the playoffs. In fact, it's funny, the Patriots lost in the first round of the playoffs because they didn't have a bye. And what's cool is the Dolphins beat the Patriots in Foxborough, Massachusetts, in Gillette Stadium, at the Patriots' place. The Dolphins beat them. And the turnaround to go from week two, losing at home to the Patriots 43-0, to to week 17, beat a Patriots team at the end of the year that's trying to win in the Patriots' home stadium, that's awesome. And the reality is the Dolphins got a great head coach in Brian Flores. I was not a believer. I was very much wrong. He's the right guy for the job. He changed the culture. He elevated that team, and he was the right guy absolutely for the job in Miami. Now we have two coaches that I believe have a bright future. It's the Broncos' Vic Fangio and the Cardinals' Cliff Kingsbury. Now the biggest reason why I feel good about these two coaches moving forward is actually the emergence of their rookie quarterbacks. Kyler Murray with the Cardinals won the Rookie of the Year. He's phenomenal. And then Drew Locke at the end of the year for the Denver Broncos. Wow. I've been watching the film. He looks awesome. And I admit, these rankings and putting these two coaches as coaches that I believe have a good future, I'm putting them there because of the situation they're in, not just because of the coach. Like, if they didn't have the quarterback, if they didn't have momentum moving forward, they probably wouldn't be here. But the reality is I, just, I buy into Kyler long-term and I buy into Drew Locke long-term. I also love the Broncos' new offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. He was a head coach before. He's best suited as an offensive coordinator. I feel great about the Broncos. I feel great about the Cardinals moving forward. They're building something. I think the future is bright in both of those cities with those franchises. But I will say having a good situation does not automatically mean I believe in a coach. The Jets have a promising young quarterback named Sam Darnold. Love him. He's great. Got a great arm. Makes plays. There's not many people around him, and he tends to elevate the people around him, even in the NFL, even in New York. But last offseason, the New York Jets hired Adam Gase as their head coach. And so what I did is I put Adam Gase in the let's wait and see category. I don't really have a reason. That's not true. Uh, There are plenty of reasons to not believe in Adam Gase. Since he got to New York, it's been kind of a circus. There's been a lot of weird media stuff from the way he was introduced to horrible stories about Sam Darnold to things going wrong with players and all kinds of rumors about the organization just swirling around everywhere. There's all this noise in New York. So I think it might work. I I really believe, because here's the thing. I believe in Sam Darnold, the quarterback. I think Sam Darnold's great. The question is, is Adam Gase the coach that ultimately will succeed with Sam Darnold? I don't know. That's why we got to wait and see. I believe in Sam. I'm not sure about the coach yet. But I think if without Adam Gase, another guy could make it work with Sam Darnold. And so that is why we're in the wait-and-see period with Adam Gase in New York. I'm also in the wait-and-see mode with the Buccaneers head coach, Bruce Arians. For me, this past year was actually a gigantic disappointment with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was really excited to watch, man, Jameis Winston, Bruce Arians, a really good offensive-minded coach. They're going to put them together It's going to be great. And Jameis Winston had a really weird year. He led the NFL in passing yards, which is great, I guess. But yards are, again, I'm not a big stats guy. I don't care. 
He had 33 touchdowns and 3-0, 30 interceptions. He turned over the ball constantly. It's disgusting how many turnovers Jameis Winston had. And it's just odd. Now, some people, Carson Palmer used to play for Bruce Arians in Arizona. And Carson Palmer came out and said, and I really, I, I, I'm a big Carson Palmer fan. He's negatively viewed in like the, the public opinion. But Carson Palmer, I think, is one of the more underrated quarterbacks. Not a Hall of Famer, nothing like that. But I do think a quality quarterback that deserves more respect is Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer came out and said that year one to two with Bruce Arians, he made a big leap forward because it's complicated. You're asking a guy to throw the ball all over the yard, aggressively downfield. And year one to two, you make a big leap in Bruce Arians' system. So maybe that's what happens with Jameis Winston. However, the problem is uh, we didn't see that. We didn't see a good jump in year one. We saw Jameis Winston play very inconsistently. Does he get better in year two? Maybe. But I will say, I'm not ready to give, on Bru- give up on Bruce Arians. I believe in Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians is a proven head coach in the NFL. I think if anything is the problem in Tampa Bay, it's probably the quarterback, Jameis Winston. I don't know. I'm still, that's why I'm still in wait-and-see mode with Bruce Arians. I believe in him. I don't believe in the quarterback. Is it going to work long-term? I don't know. We're going to wait one more year and find out. Now, finally, we have the bad coach. <laughs> uh, you know... Being the, quote, bad coach is better than being the fired coach. Freddie Kitchens was fired by the Browns. That's the worst coach that was hired last year. But I'm still not at all impressed by the Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor. Now, the one thing I will say about Zach Taylor, he spells his name right. Z-A-C. That's how I spell my name. That's how he spells his name. So does Zach Efron spell his name that way. Congratulations. Hey, that's not, I mean, I guess I'm nobody and Zach Efron's cool and Zach Taylor's a bad coach. So do what you want with that. I have no idea. Um, but everything I saw was not great <laughs> from the Cincinnati Bengals organization, and especially from Zach Taylor. Um, you know, he was hired from the Rams organization. This is the career trajectory that Zach Taylor took. Two years ago, Zach Taylor was the LA Rams quarterback coach. He went directly from quarterback coach in LA to head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. That's a very rare move. Usually you see a guy go from coordinator to head coach. You almost never see a guy go from quarterback coach to head coach who's never called plays before. Never. It's like, ooh, that's weird. Very, very weird to see that. It's an odd move. And it seems to me like Zach Taylor was in way over his head. First of all, he was not able to get the best out of Andy Dalton. One of the things I was excited for is, hey, if Zach Taylor is supposedly this offensive genius, maybe he's the guy that can help save Andy Dalton's career. Oh, that didn't happen. In fact, they even had to bench Andy Dalton at one point. That's bad. It's not good. And then when they benched Andy Dalton, they played a rookie quarterback, Ryan Finley. Oh, Ryan Finley was terrible. He was a mess. I don't know why. I have no idea why they even made the change. Were they trying to lose games? That's what it literally felt like. But here's the reality. The Cincinnati Bengals have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And they're probably going to draft young quarterback Joe Burrow out of LSU. I love Joe Burrow. He's phenomenal. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in years. He does everything right. However, I have no confidence that Zach Taylor is the guy to teach Joe Burrow how to play quarterback in the NFL. It's sad because I think, I think Joe Burrow's phenomenal. And again, I have no confidence that Zach Taylor is the guy to make him successful in the NFL. It's sad to me. I love Cincinnati. I'm literally going to move there in August. I literally, I'm not kidding. The Beautiful part of my job. I can live anywhere in the world as long as there's a fast enough internet connection. I'm choosing to live in Cincinnati. 
It's my favorite city on the planet. I love Cincinnati. I'm weird. You might not. I love it. I really love Cincinnati. And it's a shame that the football program, the football team in Cincinnati has bad ownership, a bad head coach, and they're going to get a star player who's probably going to massively, massively underachieve. But I, I know this, that my lack of confidence that Zach Taylor can get it done tells me that Zach Taylor is a bad coach and that the Bengals hired a bad coach by hiring Zach Taylor. So again, here's how I would re-rank the 2019 NFL head coaching hires. The two best were the Dolphins hiring Brian Flores and the Packers hiring Matt LaFleur. The two guys with a good future coming up is the Broncos' Vic Fangio and the Cardinals' Cliff Kingsbury. The two guys I want to wait and see how things work out are the Jets' Adam Gase and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' Bruce Arians. The bad head coach is Zach Taylor that the Bengals hired. And then the guy who got fired, the worst of the worst, is Freddie Kitchens, the head coach, the former head coach, now tight ends coach of the Giants, former head coach of the Cleveland Browns. He was awful. He was the worst of the worst. He got fired. Um, and that's how I would re-rank the new coaches from 2019. So the Bengals have the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft. And it's assumed, in fact, it's been reported by some people that they are going to draft Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback out of LSU. Again, won the Heisman Trophy. He's phenomenal. I love Joe Burrow. I like his, I love his preparation. I love his accuracy, his ability to move. I like his interviews and his, his answers and interviews. He's very, I just love everything about Joe Burrow. I am so confident he is a guy that could succeed in the NFL. But here's what's funny. So there, it's likely that the Bengals are going to draft a quarterback number one overall who won a Heisman Trophy. They've done the exact same thing before. In the 2003 NFL draft, the Bengals chose Heisman winning quarterback out of USC, Carson Palmer. And it's really interesting to hear Carson Palmer talk about Joe Burrow. He calls Joe Burrow a spectacular talent. He gives him high, high praise. It's very clear Carson Palmer likes and believes in Joe Burrow. In fact, guess who Joe Burrow's coach is? His throwing coach in the offseason. Yes, Joe Burrow is working with Carson Palmer's brother, Jordan Palmer. Interesting, right? Oh, and Jordan Palmer, guess where he used to play? Jordan Palmer used to be Carson's backup in Cincinnati with the Bengals. But when you hear Carson Palmer talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, it feels almost like he's warning Joe Burrow not to go there. It's like he's saying, hey, kid, don't, don't do it, man. It's not worth your life. It's not worth your career. And Carson Palmer talks about how coming out of college and entering the NFL, he thought he could change the Bengals. He thought he could save the organization. But he didn't understand the NFL. He believed that the most important part of the team was the people on the field. And the reality is, the reality that he learned is that actually the most important part of a football team is the organization that picks the players to go on to the field. The organization is more important than what you see immediately on the field. A lot of people talk about how, um, you know, the Bengals have talent. Yeah, they do, for now. Will they in five years? I don't know. The organization matters. It's funny, I made a video called, I think I, I, think I called it Joe Burrow. Basically, the point of the video is I said that Joe Burrow should not go to the Bengals, and he should pull an Eli Manning and say, hey, don't take me. I'm not going there. And people responded, well, Zach, 
The Bengals have good players. The Bengals have good people on their roster, people that can help Joe Burrow develop as a quarterback. But you do realize Carson Palmer had good players around him. He had TJ Husmanjada. He had Chris Henry. May he forever rest in peace. He had Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco, whatever name you want to call him. And Carson Palmer says to this day, the Browns have good talent. He credits Duke Tobin, the director of player personnel. But again, Carson Palmer even points out, there's a reason that the Bengals are drafting number one overall. They're a bad organization. Carson says that the number one most important thing in Cincinnati is financials, the financial aspect of and the business side of football. And the number two thing is winning a Super Bowl. Business comes first, Super Bowl comes second, and that's painful for players to hear. In fact, Carson Palmer once signed a contract extension with the Cincinnati Bengals and was promised. Mike Brown, the owner, promised that they were going to make changes, they were going to hire a general manager, and guess what they didn't do? To this day, the Browns still do not have a general manager. What they have is an owner who has Duke Tobin, quote, player, director of player personnel, but Mike Brown can overrule anything he wants at any time because he will not give somebody the title of general manager and get out of the way. In fact, when Carson Palmer was there, they had so much salary cap space, and guess what they didn't do? They didn't spend it. They didn't use it. They just let the salary cap space stay there rather than going get to get talented players. They made the playoffs, and they could have tried for more. There's an interesting team right now. The, the Buffalo Bills have... $90 million in cap space. They made the playoffs and went 10-6. and six. And if the Bills really want to win, they're going to spend all that money and go after players and try to get to the next step and win a Super Bowl. The Bengals had the opportunity to do that as well back in the day with Carson Palmer, and they chose not to. They chose not to spend money. They chose not to go for the Super Bowl, but rather than, you know, let's worry about our financials. We don't want to spend money, yada, yada. The Bengals aren't really willing to do what it takes to win a Super Bowl. So this leads us to Joe Burrow. The Bengals are planning to draft Joe Burrow number one overall. And it's great for the Bengals. The Bengals are going to get a new star player, a local kid from you know Athens, Ohio. He's from nearby. He's a local kid. He's the new star hero of the franchise. They can sell a lot of jerseys. They can give fans hope. And fans in Cincinnati, I'll be there this fall. They'll be like, ooh, things are changing. Things are turning around for the Cincinnati Bengals. They're not changing. Things are not going to change in Cincinnati. The owner is still Mike Brown. Mike Brown is still the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And as long as he is, things are not going to change. They were the worst team in the NFL last year. They're a team that has been crippled by their desire to make money rather than going for broke trying to win Super Bowls. Again, there's a reason they have the number one overall pick. And if Joe Burrow goes to Cincinnati to play for the Bengals, Cincinnati, great city, I love it. It's literally my favorite city in the world. But if he, tries, if he goes to Cincinnati, he will be disappointed in the long run. Joe Burrow is not going to be fulfilled long-term, I believe, in Cincinnati. But not because of the city. Again, the city's great. It's an amazing city. I love it. I'm going to move there. Literally, I love the city of Cincinnati. The reason why Cincinnati will be unfulfilling for Joe Burrow is because of the Bengals' ownership. Because the ownership doesn't really want to win. They don't want to do what it takes 
to win games. Carson Palmer wasted years, good years of his career, his prime years, he wasted in Cincinnati with the Bengals, underachieving. Carson Palmer never won a playoff game until he left Cincinnati. And that's a shame because Carson Palmer, you might, you might, you could never win a big game, blah, blah, blah. No, Carson Palmer is one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. He's got the best deep ball. Him and Russell Wilson, best deep balls I've ever seen in my life. And then Patrick Mahomes, I guess, too, probably. But Joe Burrow, in my opinion, Joe Burrow needs to reject the Bengals and do it hard. You got to be harsh. You can't be nice. You know those no soliciting signs people put on their doorstep? A lot of the times people put a sign out there that says, no soliciting. And the goal is to tell people that want to knock on your door and sell you stuff, a door-to-door salesman, hey, get out of here. We don't want you here. In fact, where I used to live, we used to have a no soliciting sign. Guess what we still got at our house? I lived in my best friend's basement for two years, and uh, oh, guess what? (laughs) We still got solicitors there. People, we still got door-to-door salesmen, even though we had that sign. Didn't work. When I... I have a friend of mine, a different friend of mine, who has a sign that says, trespassers will be shot. Now, the reality is the guy doesn't even own a gun. <laughs> doesn't, no. He just has a sign that looks really mean and it scares people away. And you know what they don't get? The message works. They don't get door-to-door salesmen knocking on their door. Sometimes you got to be a little bit harsher than you think. Maybe harsher than you really feel in your heart in order to get the message through. Joe Burrow can't be nice. He needs to be public. He needs to be harsh. He needs to say, I don't want to play for the Cincinnati Bengals. They have bad ownership. I will not play for Mike Brown. You can draft me. I won't play. Do it. I dare you. I'm not going to play for you. Close the door for good. Make them draft Chase Young, the guy out of Ohio State. Joe Burrow needs to say, I will play anywhere other than Cincinnati. I'm not going to the Bengals. I actually don't think he's going to do that. I don't think he will do that, but I, I strongly believe, that's my strong opinion, Joe Burrow should do that. Because Joe Burrow is just too talented. He works too hard. He prepares too hard to be held down and limited by bad ownership. I had a boss one time, worked at a movie theater in high school. We run out of popcorn all the time. I worked at a movie theater. The number one thing people sell at movie theaters is popcorn. And guess what? My manager was so worried about finances, he wouldn't order enough popcorn all the time. You know how embarrassing it is to tell people at a movie theater we ran out of popcorn because my manager is dumb and won't spend the money? Which, by the way, you make the money back. You, you, you can never order too much popcorn. It doesn't go bad. It sits on the shelf, and guess what? <laughs> you sell it. At a movie theater, everybody buys the popcorn. You're never going to run out of so demand for popcorn at a movie theater, but my stupid boss wouldn't order enough popcorn and it drove me nuts. You, my point is you don't want to work for bad management that won't spend money on things you need. And that's what Mike Brown is to the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrows worked too hard. He's too talented to waste years of his career in Cincinnati. He might have a little bit of success in Cincinnati. Maybe at some point Joe Burrow wins a playoff game with the Bengals and that'd be awesome. But he can do so much better than win one playoff game. No matter what level of success Joe Burrow has, whether he fails or wins a playoff game or maybe wins two playoff games or has a good year, whatever it is, no matter how much success Joe Burrow has in Cincinnati, he could have more somewhere else. It could always be better in a different city with better ownership. No matter what Joe Burrow does, no matter what level of accomplishment he achieves, everything Joe Burrow does will be underachieving in Cincinnati with the Bengals.
The Bengals have an unproven head coach who has literally done nothing but lost since he got to Cincinnati. A.J. Green, their star receiver, the guy that's supposed to help Joe Burrow get better, might not even be there next year. And there are so many problems with the Cincinnati Bengals. I hope for Joe Burrow's sake he doesn't go there. He is foolish if he believes he can change their ownership. He can't. The number one lesson I take away from Carson Palmer, I watched Carson Palmer at Football Life. It's phenomenal. He was an incredibly talented quarterback who underachieved, and a large part of that was because of the ownership and the organization he played for. Management is key. Make sure the people paying your bills, make sure your boss is a good one. Because that's sometimes the only choice you get is the person that pays your bills. Sometimes the only choice you get is you get to choose your boss, you get to choose who you work for. Joe Burrow may think I'm just at the mercy of the people that draft me. No, no, no. Take control of this situation. Tell them, I don't want to play for the Bengals. I refuse. Pull an Eli Manning. Refuse to go there. That's what I think is best for Joe Burrow and his family. Go to a better organization, have a better life, win football games, and achieve good things, great things. Don't go to Cincinnati and underachieve. Now, if Joe Burrow's there next fall, I'll be there next fall. I'll go to watch him play live. It'll be really fun. I'll, uh, Zach will have a good time. I'll have a great time. Joe Burrow might not. Joe Burrow needs to say no to the Cincinnati Bengals. Whew, that was long. What a long, passionate rant. Stinking Bengals, man. Oh, man. Okay, um, five NFL teams hired new head coaches this offseason. The Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy. The Giants hired Joe Judge. The Panthers, Matt Rule. The Redskins, Ron Rivera. The Browns, Kevin Stefanski. And so what I want to do is rank them in order of best to worst. Who is the best hire? Who is the worst hire? Let's find out. I want to start with 1A and 1B. The two best, in my opinion. I don't know how to differentiate them. I, I know how to differentiate them. It's the way they'll, the level of success they'll have early on. One coach is going to be far more successful than the other. But there are two head coaches that were hired this offseason I feel phenomenal about. The first one is Mike McCarthy with the Dallas Cowboys. I feel so, so good about Mike McCarthy. He's a home run. He's won a Super Bowl before. He won a Super Bowl with the Packers. He eventually got fired by them. But guess what he did? Once getting fired by the Green Bay Packers, Mike McCarthy took time off, took time to do some introspection, to figure out his priorities, to get better as a coach. He did that. He hung out in his man cave, his barn behind his house, and improved as a coach. That's awesome. He's got a plan. He's great. I really believe that Mike McCarthy is the perfect head coach for the Dallas Cowboys. He's won before. He can demand respect from Jerry Jones. He's a veteran guy. He knows quarterbacks. He knows offense. He's got a lot of depth as a human being, which matters. That's what happens when you lose. That's what happens when you struggle. Getting fired by the Green Bay Packers made Mike McCarthy a better coach long-term. I believe in him. He's won a Super Bowl. He's awesome. He's great for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the Panthers, the second coach that I love is the Panthers hiring Matt Rule. I am going to get ridiculed for this, and that's fine. Early on, I will look like an idiot. I will look foolish. I know this. Week 10 next year, you're going to be like, the Panthers are, they have, they have like two wins. It's 10 weeks into the year. Why do the Panthers only have two wins? Yeah, I acknowledge. The Panthers are not going to win a lot early on. Absolutely. Winning is going to take time in Charlotte, Carolina. North Carolina? North Carolina? I believe it's, I have this battle every time. I, Charlotte is in North Carolina. I know this. I looked it up one time. Never been there. Doesn't matter. It's not the point of the podcast. But you got to understand what Matt Rule does is turn around football programs. 
He turned around Temple. In year one at Temple, Matt Rule went 2-10. and ten. In year three, Matt Rule went 10-4. and four. Got to a bowl game. Turned him around. Wow, Matt Rule. It took time, but you certainly turned around Temple. Oh, and that's, guess what he did? He went to Baylor. Baylor. Remember Baylor? They had a horrible sex scandal. They were an awful, awful program. Just in the dumps, the worst. Year one at Baylor, Matt Rule went 1-11. and 11. He lost 11 games. In his third year at Baylor, Matt Rule won 11 games. He went 11 and 3, 11 and 4, and got to a bowl game. Matt Rule went from going 1 and 11 to three years later going 11 and 4. <laughs> That's awesome. That's crazy. 11 losses to 11 wins in a two, three year span. So Matt Rule's process takes time, but he does it the right way. He doesn't offer cheap or quick solutions. He says, no. I'm going to come into your franchise and turn everything around with quality and do it the right way. The doing things the right way takes time because I'm going to change the culture. That's what Matt Rule does. And go watch Matt Rule's introductory press conference. It's phenomenal. I love it. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. Again, I'm not a rah-rah guy. A lot, a lot of head coaches, when they're hired, most of the time they're just like, they're trying to get you know good press from the media. They're saying all this you know boisterous stuff and they're posturing to the media like, yeah. I'm great. I'm, and they prom, they overpromise all this stuff. Like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And Matt Rule didn't really do any of that. Matt Rule was totally comfortable. He wasn't eager or desperate to prove himself. It was very clear. Matt Rule is very comfortable and secure in who he is. And the coolest moment was unprompted. Matt Rule said he planned to bring in an older and wiser veteran coach. Someone to tell him when he's wrong. I heard that and I went, yep. I'm in. Matt Rule gets it. He's going to be phenomenal. The Panthers have a great owner, David Tepper. They have a great offensive coordinator, Joe Brady from LSU, who worked with Joe Burrow, by the way. And now the Panthers have a great head coach, Matt Rule. I guess they had Matt Rule, then the Matt Rule got Joe Brady to come in. But what's even cooler is they got basically the hottest young offensive coordinator, the biggest name in offensive coordinator jobs. They got Joe Brady to come coach for them. That's the power of Matt Rule. It's the power of having a great owner. I have no idea who the quarterback is going to be yet in Charlotte. Don't know. But I'm excited to find out. Maybe it's Cam Newton. Maybe Cam Newton's the guy. Maybe not. But what I do know is I cannot wait to watch the Panthers grow over the next couple years. It's going to take time. I understand that. I trust it. Patience is key. In time. The Panthers will win with Matt Rule. I'm going to look dumb at first. You're going to be like, Zach, what the heck? You believe in Matt Rule? He's won two games in 11 weeks. And I'll say, yeah, give it to year three. By year three, you'll see what I was talking about. Matt Rule's doing things the right way. I'm a big fan. I really believe in him. So there are three teams and three coaches left. You have the Browns, the Giants, and the Redskins. So the way we rank the next three teams, the question is, which coach will have more the most success? Which coach is going to have the most amount of success in the future? And so the third best coach hired, in my opinion, after Mike McCarthy and Matt Rule, is the Giants hiring Joe Judge. Joe Judge has never been a head coach before. I acknowledge that that's a, a fear a lot of people have. But I really like Joe Judge's approach. He's delegating. He's hiring coordinators. He's hiring three coordinators. He hired Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator. He hired Patrick Graham as a defensive coordinator. And Thomas McGahee as a special teams coordinator. 
What that means is Joe Judge isn't in charge of special teams, offense, or defense. His job is to oversee it all. It's really interesting. I heard an interview around the time of the Super Bowl where I can't, believe, I can't remember who it was, but the guy was talking about how it's a coordinator's job to... How do you, he said it's a coordinator's job to call plays. It's like an offensive coordinator's job is to move the ball down the field. It's a head coach's job to step in and go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. run the ball here. We need to take time off the clock. Or, whoa, whoa, throw the ball. We should go for it on fourth and three. Or we shouldn't go for it on fourth and three. It's a coach's job to oversee everything and overrule the coordinators. The fact that that's the approach Joe Judge is taking says a lot to me. He gets it. He's delegating to other people. He can have the role of overseeing everything and setting the tone for the culture. I really believe in the giant strategy as an organization. As Saquon Barkley, a great young running back. Daniel Jones, a great young quarterback. I, I like everything the Giants are doing. I believe in Joe Judge. He's the third best coach that was hired this NFL offseason. So then we're left with the Redskins or the Browns. And in my opinion, both the Browns and the Redskins have terrible ownership. Now, the Redskins do have a more experienced head coach, Ron Navarro, who's won before. But the Browns have better players. And so it's a toss-up. So in my opinion, it's very close. But I would say that the Browns got a better head coach situation with Kevin Stefanski. Ron Rivera, number five, I'm putting him dead last. And it's not Ron Rivera's fault. Ron Rivera should have never taken a job for Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins. The Redskins have worse ownership than even the Browns. The only ownership group that's worse than Dan Snyder with the Redskins is Mike Brown. Mike Brown is by far, Cincinnati has by far the worst ownership. It's Mike Brown, then it's the Redskins. A lot of people say Dean Span- the, the, the Spanos family, Dean Spanos, rest in peace. But the Spanos family is terrible. A lot of people say that with the Chargers. But the Browns have good players. The Browns have a, a good quarterback, in, at least on paper. I like Baker Mayfield. Good receivers, a good defensive lineman, good running back, good tight end. Here, here's what the Redskins have. The Redskins have bad ownership, bad facilities, questions all over their roster, not a lot of talent. The only way the Redskins are better than the Browns is that they have a coach who's won before. That's the only... When you, when you line up on paper the, this versus this, the only place the, Brown, the Redskins are better is they have a guy who, I guess, got to a Super Bowl and lost as head coach, Ron Rivera. So I think the Browns are more likely to have success than the Redskins moving forward. Again, the way I would rank the coaches. Mike McCarthy and Matt Rule are 1A and 1B. I don't know which one is better. They're both great. I love them. Joe Judge is the third best coach that was hired in the NFL this offseason. Then you have Kevin Stefanski with the Browns. Then the worst coach that was hired, it's not his fault, they should have never gone there, is Ron Rivera with the Washington Redskins. Here's a question, by the way. Why don't the Carolina Panthers trade Cam Newton and some draft picks to Cincinnati for the number one overall pick? Why, doesn't, why is that not being thrown out there more? Why, why has that not been discussed? The Carolina Panthers have... Here's the situation with the Carolina Panthers. They have Joe Brady as their offensive coordinator. Joe Brady used to work for LSU. He is basically the biggest reason why Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> Joe Burrow and Joe Brady work really well together. They've done it before. What that tells me is, hey, I think Joe Brady would love to work with Joe Burrow again. And the Panthers have a new head coach, Matt Rule. And even more interesting, they have a relatively new owner, David Tepper. And David Tepper is not the guy who was the owner when the Panthers drafted Cam Newton. 
What that means is the owner, Cam Newton was picked by the old owner. Cam Newton and David Tepper has no loyalty to Cam Newton. The new owner of the Panthers has no reason to be invested in Cam Newton as the quarterback and the franchise quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. So if you trade Cam Newton and some draft picks, maybe a first-round draft pick, maybe a second or a third, whatever it takes, right? If the Panthers trade Cam Newton, a star quarterback, and some draft picks for the number one overall pick with Cincinnati, I believe everybody wins in that trade. Joe Burrow wins. Joe Burrow gets to go to a good, well-run organization with a bright future and a good head coach, the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers win. The Panthers get a new, young franchise quarterback. Even the Bengals win. The Bengals get a new star quarterback, Cam Newton. They'll sell a lot of jerseys. They're going to give Bengals fans a sense of newness and a sense of, I think, false hope, but still hope. Bengals fans will go, oh, we got a Cam Newton now. A shiny new toy and a new reason to believe our team is finally changing and doing things right. And they'll go, we didn't even want Joe Burrow. He didn't want to come here. And we got, we got Cam Newton. He's, he wanted us. And, you know, we got draft picks in the trade. So we actually did better than getting Joe Burrow. We got a former number one overall pick and draft picks. Like, who needs Joe Burrow? Bengals fans will be really excited about that. So Bengals fans and the Bengals organization wins if you trade for Cam Newton. And I think even Cam Newton would win. He'd never win enough. That, not for sure there. But Cam Newton could go be the hero in Cincinnati. They would definitely embrace him. The Bengals would want him. I'm not sure that he's wanted in Carolina. But the Bengals would want him. So the Panthers, in my opinion, should trade up for, excuse me, the Panthers should trade up for the Bengals' number one overall draft pick. Give up a first-round pick. Give up a second-round pick. Maybe a third-round pick. Give up Cam Newton. The Panthers should do what they can to trade up. Get rid of Cam. Trade him to the Bengals and trade up and go get Joe Burrow in the NFL draft. Cam in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow in Charlotte, the Panthers. Everybody wins in that scenario. And that's something nobody's talking about that I would love to see happen. I would love to see Cam Newton traded to Cincinnati for that number one overall pick so that the Panthers can be the ones who draft Joe Burrow. Because my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break when I return. We're going to talk about 11 NFL storylines that you guys are excited for based on your feedback. We're going to talk about the Raiders, why Vegas is great for them. We're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to close the show out by talking about why I hate the Hall of Fame. And at the very end of the show, the last topic of the day is a topic I'm going to call career funerals. (laughs) It's fun. It's interesting. I'm excited for that. Guys, my name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, a little while ago, I made a list of six NFL off-season storylines I'm excited to see play out. They were number one, where will Tom Brady go next season, if anywhere? Number two, what happens with Dak Prescott's contract situation in Dallas as the quarterback? Number three, what will the Titans do with Derrick Henry? Number four, what will happen with Patrick Mahomes' contract? Number five, who will the Jaguars quarterback be next season? And number six, the quarterback movement. Guys like Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Phillip Rivers, Marcus Mariota. Where are they going to play or move to next year? If not, is Phillip Rivers going to retire? So I put out those six storylines I was excited to follow. And then I said, hey, what storylines are you guys excited about? And I got a lot of responses. It was really, really cool. So I want to share some of the storylines that you guys brought up and you guys pointed out that you were excited about. And there are 11 of them. There were actually nine I put on the list. There were nine that you guys said. 
And then I actually added two more to my list because I thought two more were really interesting. So let's start with your nine. Number one is just the Bills offseason moves. Uh, the Bills went 10-6 and six last year. They made the playoffs. They have a young quarterback that's great. They have a lot of pieces on their offense that are awesome. And now the Bills have around $90 million, $90 million to spend in free agency. That's huge. This is a gigantic opportunity for the Buffalo Bills to go from a good playoff team, take a next step forward by in chasing a Super Bowl. They have an opportunity here to really upgrade their roster. What are the Bills, in fact, going to do in free agency this offseason? I'm really curious to find out. That'll be fun. I love that suggestion from the fans. Number two, the Panthers quarterback situation. The question really is, are the Panthers going to keep Cam Newton? He's been hurt a lot. He's got a new coach. He's got a relatively new owner. You know, you got to realize Cam Newton was drafted by the previous owner. So the owner, David Tepper, and the coach, Matt Rule, have no loyalty to Cam Newton at all. So will the Panthers keep Cam Newton or will they go get someone new? And is even, you know, is Cam Newton even going to be healthy enough to play? He didn't play at all last year, really, other than I think two or three games. And so is Cam Newton going to be healthy and will the Panthers even want him to come back? I'm excited to find out what happens with the Panthers quarterback situation. Number three, what will the Buccaneers do at quarterback? Jameis Winston is a free agent. He led the NFL in passing yards. Woo! That's awesome. Jameis, that's... Oh, you know me. I love fantasy football crap. I don't. It's stupid. Uh, Jameis Winston had 33 touchdowns. That's awesome. He also had 30. 3-0, 30 interceptions. <laughs> the, the amount that Jameis Winston turns over the ball is disgusting. It's terrible. So the Bucks went 7-9, and nine, and the question is, will they keep him and give him a new contract? Are they going to keep Jameis Winston? Because some people say that you know, Jameis Winston and, and quarterbacks in Bruce Arians' system, period, get better in year two rather than year one. I would also point out that Andrew Luck did great year one in Bruce Arians' system. Now, Jameis Winston really struggled. It was very inconsistent. Uh, but it's an interesting dilemma to follow. Will they move on from Jameis Winston and get a new quarterback, or will they keep him and hope he gets better in year two? It's a fun dilemma I cannot wait to follow in Tampa Bay. Number four, a new CBA is coming. What that means is that a new collective bargaining agreement is going to happen between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. The question is, what will change as a, new, as a result of the new CBA? Are we going to get a 17-game season? I'd be down for that. I don't want an 18-game season, but a 17-game season rather than 16, I'd be down for, as long as players get two bye weeks rather than just one. Because for me, as a content creator, it would actually spread out the games a little bit more by one week. It's hard. Those weeks when there's not a bye week, there's like, there, well, there's 16 games going on at once that I need to follow and track. We could spread that out by one more week, just a little bit, thin it out a little bit. It'd be much easier for me to follow as a person covering the NFL. And honestly, I think as a fan, it'd be easier to follow what's going on in the NFL. There was just a tad fewer games every weekend, and they were a little more spread out. Maybe one more bye weekend and 17 games. I'd be down for that. I think it'd be interesting and it'd work pretty well. It would ruin stats, but stats are already ruined because it used to be 13 games, so whatever. Number five, the question is, will Drew Brees retire? I don't think so. This is why this was not on my original list. I saw a post on Instagram today where Drew, Drew Brees tagged the Saints. I don't think Drew Brees is going anywhere. That's why we're hearing rumors about where's Teddy Bridgewater going. You have, you know, Taysom Hill coming out saying, I want to be a franchise quarterback, and the Saints might not believe I am. Because to me, I think the writing's on the wall. Drew Brees is coming back. He's not going anywhere. But you guys said, hey, I am curious. Did Drew Brees retire? So let's talk about it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Number six, what will the Cardinals do with their running back, David Johnson? They gave David Johnson a gigantic contract. 
and then they traded for Kenyon Drake, and he was outshined by Kenyon Drake. So it's interesting. Will the Cardinals cut David Johnson or not? We'll find out. What will the Colts do at quarterback? What will the Indianapolis Colts do at quarterback? They have Jacoby Brissett. He's got one more expensive year on his contract. But he is not either the long-term solution. He's also not the short-term solution. Jacoby Brissett is a limited quarterback. And honestly, what the Colts really need is a short-term solution. They don't need to draft a quarterback in the draft to wait for him to develop. The truth is the Colts need a quarterback now. They need a guy who's ready to win a Super Bowl now because their roster is capable. People are saying Phillip Rivers is going to retire. I think Phillip Rivers goes to play for the Colts for $4 million a year before he retires. Phillip Rivers wants to win a Super Bowl. And there is no way, unless the Colts sign Tom Brady, they're going to get Phillip Rivers or somebody. The Colts are not going to go down without a fight. The Colts have a roster capable of winning a Super Bowl. They just don't have a quarterback capable of winning a Super Bowl. So that's what I want to see from the Colts. What change are they going to make at quarterback? Number eight, the question is, will Antonio Brown ever play in the NFL again? He's had all kinds of problems, got arrested, all kinds, just been a mess, lost his agent. I don't think so, but we'll find out. Will Antonio Brown ever play in the NFL again? Number nine, will the Bears bring in a new quarterback? Is it time for them to at least, at the very least, bring in competition like Marcus Mariota or Andy Dalton or maybe Phillip Rivers to compete with Mitchell Trubisky and make him at least earn the job? That's what I'm curious to see with the Bears. Now, those are the nine you guys suggested. Great. There are two more storylines I want to follow that I'm curious that I should have included in my original list. I added two. Number one is, will the Raiders stick with Derek Carr? There's rumor today that the Raiders are going to offer Tom Brady $60 million for two years. So maybe, are the Raiders going to stick with Derek Carr at quarterback or not? One of the things I've seen in early, you got to understand, film analysis videos take forever to make. Especially when you're doing a whole season versus doing one game takes about seven days to make a video. When you do a whole season, for me it takes forever to make a film analysis video. One of the preliminary results I've seen from my film analysis of Derek Carr is that he gets skittish around the time of, what would you call it, since his back injury, he's been afraid of getting hit. He's been a little bit skittish in the pocket. He's thrown the ball away too early. And so maybe the Raiders draft a promising young quarterback, a guy like Jordan Love. Somebody who, yeah, Derek Carr's our guy for now, but we, we can pull what, we can do what the Chiefs did with Alex Smith. We have a quarterback. We're going to draft a really talented guy behind him to wait till he develops. I could, I could totally see that happening. Maybe they do go get a Tom Brady, but I don't know why Tom Brady would go to the Raiders. The Raiders aren't really ready to win a Super Bowl yet. Not, not as well as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think Tom Brady goes to the Raiders. But the question is, will the Raiders stick with Derek Carr or not? I actually don't think so. I, I'm not certain that the Raiders are committed to Derek Carr long-term. They've paid him money. They've been patient. And he just hasn't shown what you need to be the long-term answer at quarterback for the Raiders. And now the Las Vegas Raiders. And now there's one more. The question is, will the Lions draft a quarterback? The Detroit Lions have Matthew Stafford. He's great. Matthew Stafford, is, he's very similar to Carson Palmer, I believe, a guy who's really talented and never quite appreciated enough. He's a quiet guy, doesn't really want the spotlight. Matthew Stafford and Carson Palmer remind me so much of each other. Will Matthew Stafford be the quarterback next year in a Lions uniform or not? I don't know. Will they trade Matthew Stafford? Will they draft a quarterback underneath him to get ready? Matthew Stafford got hurt this year. I don't know. Will Matthew Stafford be the Lions quarterback this next year or not? I don't know. I think it'd be silly to get rid of him. Matthew Stafford, my impression of him is that he's phenomenal. He's underappreciated. He's really talented. He's 
a victim of a bad organization, much more similar, again, very similar to Carson Palmer. What will the Lions do at quarterback? That's the 11th thing I cannot wait to track and follow in this come this upcoming NFL offseason. All right. Um, the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. Part of their organization is already there. Uh, they're moving everything and everyone there this offseason. They will be next year the Las Vegas Raiders. They're going to play their games in a new stadium in Vegas. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. And Vegas is such a perfect fit for the Raiders organization for a multitude of reasons. Number one, something people don't realize is that the new Raiders facility is right by the airport. It's so close to the international airport in Vegas. And for the process of bringing in players every Tuesday, like, 10 to, 3 to 10 to 15 players come in for workouts every Tuesday for an NFL franchise, which means that you're literally, you're flying guys in, you're driving them to your facility, they're working out for you, then they're flying out or they're, you know, whatever. So every Tuesday, teams have guys in for workouts, and being near an airport, having a facility right near an airport is a gigantic advantage. It makes the process so much easier. This is something that nobody else will talk about when the Raiders move to Vegas, but it literally makes their life more convenient. In the past, guys would fly into the, the airport in San Francisco. They'd have to get a long, you know, long ride through traffic to the Fort Raiders facility. They work out for the Raiders. Then they got to do that whole trek through traffic, yada, yada, get back to the airport, then fly out. It's a pain in the butt. The new location of the Raiders practice facility in Vegas near the airport is a gigantic advantage that nobody's talking about, making their lives easier, quicker, and smoother. It's an extremely convenient location in Vegas. The next reason why Vegas is great for the Raiders is it's a cheaper city to live in than the Bay Area. NFL free agents would love to move to Vegas because their money's going to go farther. That's what they care about. An NFL player who's 28 with kids, realizing these are the millions of dollars I'm going to make in my life. i got to stretch it as far as I can. You can live in Vegas for far less and have a similar lifestyle in Vegas than you could in the Bay Area for far cheaper. And here's what's interesting about Vegas. Vegas is not, it's extremely attractive to free agents for so many reasons. Number one, it's cheaper to live in LA, New York, the Bay Area. You get like the advantages of living in a Midwest type economy financially. And you also get to pick whatever lifestyle you want. There's a ton of stuff going on. Shows, events, nice restaurants, suburbs. If you want to be a quiet suburban guy, you can have that. You can have whatever experience you want in warm weather in the desert in Vegas. Vegas is a great city for NFL free agents to go, have their money go a long way. But again, you can have whatever, if you want You want the city party life, you can have that. If you want the quiet suburban life, you can have that as well. You can have whatever experience you want in Las Vegas very easily, very inexpensively with good weather. Number three, a huge portion of the Raiders fan base is in Southern California. What people don't realize is that before Raiders games, there were planefuls of people, planefuls and busloads of people that would come into the Bay Area from Los Angeles, go to Raiders games, and go back. What's interesting is that fan base in Los Angeles is now even closer to the Raiders. Vegas is closer to LA than San Francisco and the Bay Area was, and it's simpler to get there. It's simpler, it's faster, there's no traffic from the airport, yada yada. You go to Vegas, it's an easier, cleaner experience, it's better for the the commuter fans that go to games every weekend from Los Angeles to Raider games have an easier, more efficient time now. 
I'm telling you, that matters. A lot of people expect, and I think it's possible that, like when uh, when the Patriots play in Vegas, the stadium will be half Patriots fans. It's that way anyway. I, I literally, I, I'm not a Patriots fan, but I flew to Cincinnati last December because I was like, I want to watch Tom Brady. I went to Cincinnati. It was a cheap flight, relatively compared to other cities. The ticket was like a an eighth the price of going to a game in Foxborough or going to a game in Texas. Like it was a cheap ticket. It was for the, you know, all things considered, and the stadium was half Patriots fans. It was like, oh, this is a Patriots home game, basically. I think we might see a lot of that in Vegas with the Raiders. If you're going to go to one game to watch your favorite team all year and you don't live in the city they're in anyway, you might as well go to Vegas because, woo, we can go to Vegas and see our favorite football team. Like if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, but you don't live in Cleveland and you're going to pick one game all year to travel to see your team play, you're going to do it in Vegas. That's what you're going to do. So yeah, I think a lot of the time the, the Vegas Raiders stadium is going to be half fans from the other team. But don't discount being near Southern California, the power that has. Vegas is going to embrace the Raiders. There's a fan base there that wants a football team. And you're so close to Southern California where so many Raiders fans are. The Raiders fans in Oakland might be bitter they lost their team. But the Raiders fans in Southern California are happy. My team is even closer to me now than it was before. You've got to pay attention to that. So again, this is why Vegas is great for the Raiders. It's more convenient. You're closer. Your practice facility is closer to an airport. It's attractive for free agents. It's a great, vibrant city that can give you whatever lifestyle you want for a lot cheaper than some of the biggest cities in America. There's only one team in the market. You're the Vegas Raiders. You own and dominate the market, unlike in the Bay Area, unlike in Los Angeles, unlike in New York. you got a new stadium. It's great. And you have a fan base in Southern California right next door that wants to come watch your games. Vegas is an absolute home run for the NFL. It's an absolute home run for the now the Vegas Raiders, for the Raiders organization. Okay, um, the NBA All-Star break has now begun. There are no games today. Thank goodness we get a little break. It's easier to follow when there's not games happening. And if the NBA playoffs started today... Here's how things would shake out. In the West, er, Western Conference, you would have the LA Lakers with the number one seed. They're 41 and 12. The Denver Nuggets would be the number two seed. They're 38 and 17. The number three seed would be the LA Clippers. They're 37 and 18. The number four seed would be the Utah Jazz. They're 36 and 18. The Houston Rockets would be the number five seed. They're 34 and 20. The Oklahoma City Thunder would be the number six seed. They are 33 and 22. The Dallas Mavericks would be the number seven seed. They're 33 and 22 as well. And the Memphis Grizzlies would be the number eight seed at 28 and 26. Now, in the Eastern Conference, you would have the number one seed as the Milwaukee Bucks. They're at 46 and eight. They have the best record in the NBA. Number two, you have the Toronto Raptors. They're 40 and 15. Number three, you have the Boston Celtics. They are 38 and 16. Number four, you have the Miami Heat. They are 35 and 19. Number five, you have the Philadelphia 76ers. They're 34 and 21. Number six, you have the Indiana Pacers. They are 32 and 23. Number seven, you have the Brooklyn Nets. They're 25 and 28. And then the number eight seed in the Eastern Conference would be the Orlando Magic. They're 24 and 31. There are a couple storylines in the NBA I'm really fascinated by. Number one is the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors are the second best team in the East, uh, according to their record. And they lost Kawhi Leonard this offseason, but they're playing phenomenal. They've won. Now, they they lost a game on the 12th. Was that two nights ago? But the Toronto Raptors at one point won 15 games in a row. 
They started their winning streak on January 15th in Oklahoma City, and they didn't lose again until February 12th. They lost on January 12th. They didn't lose again until February 12th, a month later. They won 15 games in a row, and it's crazy because multiple guys have rotated and been their leading scorer in Toronto. It's wild. Some nights it's Fred Van Fleet. Some nights it's Kyle Lowry. Some nights it's Serge Ibaka having 28, or Pascal Siakam will have 35, or Norman Powell, of all people, have 27, or even Terrence Davis had 31 points. And multiple times, Terrence Davis was the leading scorer for the Toronto Raptors on multiple occasions. It's crazy how much this team plays together. I've never seen a team play. I watched them play the night, and they just they, they move the ball so well. They play so unselfish. They clearly like each other. The body language is great when you watch them play. Man, the Raptors have a special thing going. I cannot believe Terrence Davis has been their leading scorer. Not once as a fluke, like multiple times Terrence Davis has been the leading scorer for the Toronto Raptors this season, off the bench. So the Raptors' success is really cool, and I'm just curious, man. I'm curious if they can keep it up. Can they keep playing so well together? They're well-coached. They play hard together. I don't think they have a chance to win the championship, but the fact that they lost Kawhi Leonard, and they're still winning, and they're still playing at a high level. They won 15 games in a row. They didn't lose for a month. I, I am just fascinated and kind of fired up when I talk about the Toronto Raptors. I go, wow, it's really cool. Now, Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers are really interesting. The Blazers are ninth in the West. They've been hanging around the playoff hunt for a while. and They're right there. I mean, they're right there. They're the number nine seed right now in the Western Conference. They are so close to getting themselves into a playoff seed. And Damian Lillard is playing out of his mind right now. Damian Lillard is playing phenomenal. He's shooting threes like crazy. But the question is, can he continue to play at that high level? Is Damian Lillard having a really good stretch, or is Damian Lillard now a different basketball player, and this is the new norm for Damian Lillard? Here's the biggest problem. Damian Lillard just got hurt. He's going to miss the All-Star game, which is you know good for Devin Booker, I guess. But he's going to be out one to two weeks with a groin injury after the All-Star game. And the question is, how far will the Blazers fall without him? Right now, I believe they're three games out of the number eight seed. They're the ninth seed right now in the West. Without Damian Lillard in the next couple weeks, you know, are they going to fall back down and lose all the progress they made with Damian Lillard playing out of his mind? And if Damian Lillard has to play out of his mind to get his team into the playoffs, what does that say about his team? It's not great. So can the Blazers stay in the playoff hunt till he returns? And the bigger question is, will Damian Lillard still be able to play at a high level when he comes back from his injury? Is this the, was that the new norm? Was Damian Lillard shooting threes out of his mind? Is that the new norm for Damian Lillard? Or is he going to fall back to earth and back down to the norm when he gets back from his injury? That's what I can't wait to see. I'm very curious to watch the Blazers moving forward in the next couple weeks and the next couple months. Now, uh, the 76ers have won three in a row. Not that big a deal, but interesting to me because right before the All-Star break, the Philadelphia 76ers made a change. They played the Clippers. They beat the Clippers. And they took Al Horford out of their starting lineup. Very interesting to me. So on paper, these are the five best players for the Philadelphia 76ers. Number one, Al Horford. Number two, Ben Simmons. Number three, Joel Embiid. Number five, Tobias Harris. Excuse me, number four, Tobias Harris. And number five, Josh Richardson. That's their, their best five players. Five star players. Literally, there's not a single NBA team that has a more talented group of five players on their roster. 
But against the LA Clippers, this was their starting five. Listen to this. Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Josh Richardson, and Furkan Korkmaz. <laughs> Furkan Korkmaz. No Al Horford. Al Horford was on the bench. And the lineup worked really, really well. They took Al Horford out of the starting five. He had 28, 28 minutes off the bench. And it looked like it gave Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid more space inside. They each had 26 points. And it was very, it's, it's been very weird. The 76ers have so much talent. The 76ers are such a talented basketball team. And yet they're fifth in the East. What's going wrong? Something needs to change in order for the Philadelphia 76ers to have more success. They're beating teams because they're more talented, but not because they're playing well or because they're playing together. Maybe this wacky move of taking Al Horford out of the starting five, taking him out of the rotation, giving Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons more space in the key, maybe that's the change that needs to happen. That Maybe moving forward, that's going to be the necessary change to leapfrog the 76ers into having more success and playing better together. Maybe taking one of your better players, oddly enough, out of the starting lineup is actually good for the Philadelphia 76ers. That's what I cannot wait to watch moving forward. Now, here's a really cool story, sort of. Here's the, here's the part that's sort of and really not cool at all is that Damian Lillard got hurt. Uh, he's going to miss the NBA All-Star game. It's unfortunate. I feel bad for him. But what it did mean is that Devin Booker gets to be an All-Star replacing Damian Lillard. Good for him. I remember some people called Devin Booker the biggest All-Star game snub in NBA history. He's been putting up really big numbers, 26 points per game now. The unfortunate part is that it doesn't really help his team win. His team is at, you know, they're near the bottom of the Western Conference, the, the Phoenix Suns. But I'm happy for Devin Booker. He became an all-star. Good for him. I'm very happy for him. I got to say, as I end this topic about the, the NBA, I just cannot wait for the NBA playoffs. I'm ready for them to happen now. The stretch between now and the NBA playoffs happening is going to be slow, and a lot of stuff's going to happen, I know. Man, I'm, I'm ready. I want to watch the L.A. Clippers play against the L.A. Lakers at some point in a series. I want to see that happen. I want to see the winner play the Milwaukee Bucks. I want to see what's going to happen in that matchup. Can the Clippers, I think they have guys that can guard LeBron James. And will other players step up for the Lakers? What's going to happen? I don't know. I want to watch Lakers-Clippers in a seven-game series. I want to watch the winner play against the Bucks and Giannis. Can Giannis finally get his team farther in the playoffs and win it, or win or get to a championship? That's what I want to see. Can the Blazers make it in? Can they stay alive? Damian Lillard's hurt. Will the Raptors stay as good as they've been? Are they going to keep playing so well together? They went on a 15-game run. I don't know that that's really sustainable for Toronto. Kevin, can the 76ers' new lineup, will that change, elevate them and make them even better beyond just the fifth seed? Because they're more talented than the fifth seed, but they don't play together very well. It's been ugly this year. There is so much to look forward to moving forward in the NBA, but man, I'm telling you, I could, we could fast forward to the playoffs now. I'm so ready to watch LeBron and hopefully Kawhi go head-to-head in the Western Conference Finals. There's a lot of basketball between now and then. Maybe guys get hurt. Maybe the Lakers and Clippers might not even, you know, you never know. Maybe they won't even make the playoffs. I don't know how that's possible. You never know what's going to happen. But man, I am so excited to watch what's going to unfold in the next couple months in the NBA. It's going to be so much fun. And the playoffs, baby! Gah! The NBA playoffs are going to be special this year. I'm telling you, um, there's no Warriors this year. The <laughs> Warriors are out. And ratings are down, which is weird. For me, I've never been more interested in the NBA than this year. I'm like sucked in. I'm like so excited about it. Uh, but ratings are down. It, 
I, I guess basketball I mean, football's been great. The XFL's on or something. I guess it's an election year, which makes sense. But man, I, I don't know. I'm so invested in the NBA right now. It's so phenomenal. All right, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you guys why I hate the Hall of Fame. I just hate the Hall of Fame. It's terrible. And then we'll end the show with a fun segment, which I'm going to call Career Funerals. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be interesting, exciting. Uh, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um... I want to just be really honest and open about something. Um, I've been really struggling with the Hall of Fame. Just really, really struggling with the whole, especially the NFL Hall of Fame. Like, basketball and baseball are a little bit different because their sports rely really heavily on stats. You know, you know, batting averages and shooting percentage. And it, stats really do matter a little bit more in those sports, it seems like to me. Football is unique because... Stats don't always accurately represent a player. In basketball, everybody shoots. In basketball, everybody has a three-point percentage. In, in, in football, it's so different, right? <laughs> uh, uh, there's no – quarterbacks don't tackle. Tack, you know, a, a lineman doesn't throw passes. Like, there's not the same amount of equality and equity. I understand, like, basketball, there's different positions. In baseball, pitchers have different stats than hitters. And, but everybody hits in baseball other than the pitchers. And it's just there's a different level of sameness. And it's just so much more varied in football. And here's my struggle with, especially the NFL Hall of Fame, but really any Hall of Fame has this same similar struggle, is there's no rubric for getting into the Hall of Fame. There's no consistency. There's so many arguments people can make. I mean, you can argue for a guy's story. You can, you know, people say you can't tell the story of the league without this guy. And then I guess, well, what about a one-hit wonder? What about Nick Foles? Nick Foles is an important story to tell in the NFL. A guy who came off the bench led his team to a Super Bowl, beat Tom Brady. Like, I'm going to tell my kids that story, but he's not a Hall of Famer. And so then you acknowledge, well, like, you got to pay attention to accomplishments. That should be part of the rubric and part of the idea that gets a guy into the Hall of Fame. But Hall of Fame can't be just about stats. Like, especially in the NFL, if that was the case, you would get guys like, I mean, you would let Matt Ryan in, for example. Is Matt Ryan a Hall of Famer? Using stats is highly flawed because the game has changed over time, especially in football. Like, compare a quarterback today to any quarterback in the past, Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, to Matt, you know, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has way better stats than those guys, but Matt Ryan played in a different era with different rules, and the game is different. They play more games now than they used to. He used to play a 13-game season back when the Dolphins went undefeated. Um, I don't know, man. Then there's other factors. Like people say, well, this guy changed the game. You know, Michael Vick changed the quarterback position forever. Michael Vick, you know, when guys are in middle school deciding to play quarterback or running back, a guy that used to pick running back now will play quarterback because coaches and players in the world understands having a quarterback who can run the way Michael Vick could run changed the changed football forever. People go, oh, if you have a quarterback who can move, that's a huge asset to have. Quarterbacks are now great athletes thanks to Michael Vick, but Michael Vick doesn't have the top stats. He never won a Super Bowl. And honestly, let's be real, dogfighting is going to keep Michael Vick out of the Hall of Fame because the NFL will never be comfortable They'll be afraid it's going to make them look bad. And so the Hall of Fame is just a complicated mess. There's no consistency. There's no clarity. And I don't want to let just anybody in. I mean, I don't, I, I, I want it to be a hard thing to accomplish. The Hall of Fame should be a special honor that is held with reverence, not just, hmm, we got to fix a, fill a quote and let this amount of guys in. And some people say, like, if you weren't considered the best at 
your position at one point in your career, you shouldn't be considered to be a Hall of Famer. Like Eli Manning is a very interesting case study because he's got some all-time numbers. You know, he's like number seven on the all-time lists for like three statistics. I think it's passing touchdowns and completions and yards. He won two Super Bowls. Eli Manning has a great story. He refused to play for the Chargers. He's Peyton Manning's brother. He won two Super Bowls. He beat Tom Brady doing so. He's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. But also at no point in his career was Eli Manning considered, or even in the discussion, for best quarterback in the NFL. Nobody at any point. You, you can lie if you want, but don't lie to yourself. Nobody ever thought Eli Manning is the best quarterback in the NFL. Nobody ever thought that at any point in his career. Nobody had that thought. See, I, I think the, what the Hall of Fame does is offers endless, endless arguing. And honestly, here's how I think it currently works, especially in the NFL. Getting into the Hall of Fame requires a mix of story and accomplishments. If you have enough of both, if you have enough accomplishments and a good enough story, you get in. That's how it works. Whether that's right, wrong, indifferent, whether that makes you mad or not, that's just the reality of how the Hall of Fame works. So here's how I plan to cover the Hall of Fame moving forward. Number one, I plan to accept the fact that I have no control. I don't have a vote. There's no rubric. There's no, there's no standard of consistency for what gets you into the Hall of Fame other than it seems to me like it's about story and accomplishments. But again, I have no control. My opinion really in the scheme of getting into the Hall of Fame or not doesn't matter. I can, I can say this guy's a Hall of Famer, this guy's not. Does my opinion really matter other than to provide entertainment? Not really. So here's my plan. Moving forward, I'm just going to celebrate the guys who get in. Every year, there's going to be an announcement. These you know, X amount of guys are getting into the Hall of Fame. And what I'm going to do is just celebrate them. Tell their story. Talk about why they were chosen, if I can figure it out. But really just talk about their story and who they are and what they accomplished. And try to share and try to get an idea of who they are and appreciate their story and what they contributed to the football world. I have no control. There's no clear rubric as to what gets somebody into the Hall of Fame. There's no consistent guidelines. And at this point, unless I create my own rubric, which seems basically impossible, because no matter what you decide, there's always a counter-argument to this or that. There's no clarity. It drives me up the wall. It makes me nuts. But all I can do is celebrate the people that do get inducted into any Hall of Fame. Say, hey, good for that person. I'm happy for them. Let's celebrate them. Let's celebrate their accomplishments. Let's celebrate their story. Let's celebrate what they were to the sport they played in. That's all you can do with the Hall of Fame. Because there's no rubric. There's no consistency. And that lack of consistency, that lack of a standard, oh, man. It, it does irritate me. It do, it do, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wish there was a clear, consistent standard, but there's not. And so all we can do is appreciate the people that make it in. All right, um... Here's a segment that I am so excited for. I'm going to call it career funerals. And really, what do you do at a funeral? Here's what you do at a funeral. <laughs> my brother died four years ago. It's not a happy thing. It's not a laughing matter. Um, but at my brother's memorial, I got up on the podium and I spoke to a group of like 800. Like, it was like, literally like 800 people. Like the whole entire town, it felt like showed up to my brother's memorial. He had a huge impact on everybody's lives. And here's what we did at my brother's memorial. We celebrated... What was? We celebrated my brother. We told good, kind, fun stories. I got to cry on stage in front of a bunch of people and talk about how meaningful he was to me. And so that is why this segment is called Career Funerals. Not because it's a sad thing, not because it's miserable, but because it's a memorial. 
It's a moment to appreciate somebody for what they did in their career. So I want to start today with this. After 15 seasons in the NFL, Darren Sproles has retired. He played for three teams. He was drafted in the fourth round of the 2005 NFL draft. He's a running back, and people called him a special teams specialist or a, a special team, a return specialist, is what they call him. Drafted by the Chargers, played there for years, played for three years with the New Orleans Saints, then played six years with the Eagles. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. He won a Super Bowl in 2017 with the Eagles. And his stats are not insanely high. Listen to this. Darren Sproles played running back. He ran for 3,552 yards, 23 rushing touchdowns. Oddly enough, he has more receiving yards than rushing yards, which is really weird for running back. He had 4,840 receiving yards, 32 receiving touchdowns. He also had nine returns for a touchdown, which means he had seven punt return touchdowns and two kick return touchdowns. So Darren Sproles is not a Hall of Famer to any stretch of the imagination. His numbers aren't good enough. He really has not enough Pro Bowls, one Super Bowl. Like He's just not a gigantic impact player that would be good enough to make a Hall of Fame. But this is why Darren Sproles is special and why we're talking about him and how Darren Sproles leaves a legacy in the NFL. Darren Sproles is five foot six. He's 190 pounds. And he's probably lighter than that. They just list him at 190. But the quote you'll hear when you watch Darren Sproles highlights, you'll hear, the little guy, the little guy. The little guy, another touchdown for the little guy. They just call him the little guy, and there's a reason for that. He was the first, if not at least very, if not the first, he was one of the first tiny running backs in the NFL to make it and make an impact. Five foot six, 190 pounds, contributing to an NFL roster. Not a guy with historic numbers, but a guy with good enough numbers to go, wow, played for 15 seasons. Scored a lot of touchdowns, won a Super Bowl, was an impact player. Darren Sproles contributed heavily to the NFL for this reason. He changed the view of height around the running back position. Drew Brees and Russell Wilson have changed the quarterback position forever because people realize, oh, if you're 5'10", you can still play quarterback at a high level in the NFL. Darren Sproles did the same thing for running backs. He's 5'6". He opened the door for guys like Maurice Jones-Drew, who's 5'7". And Danny Woodhead, who's five foot eight. So I want to honor Darren Sproles as a guy who changed the running back position and made it more accessible for small guys. Guys like Tariq Cohen of the Bears. A lot of guys you'll see around the league who are small, speedy, fast dudes. Darren Sproles changed the prejudice towards them and made people understand, oh, just because you're short doesn't mean you can't contribute a lot from a skill position in the NFL. Darren Sproles, I'll always remember you. What a great career you had. You changed the league. And uh, what, well done, man. Well done, Darren Sproles. If you're in your car, don't clap because you're driving. I'll clap. Good for Darren Sproles. Now, we have another memorial, though. After 16 seasons in the NFL, Antonio Gates is retiring. He played all 16 seasons with the Chargers, first in San Diego, now in Los Angeles. And here is why he's so cool. He signed with the Chargers as an undrafted free agent in 2003, a basketball player from Kent State. Yes, Antonio Gates did not play college football. 
So he did not have a single catch, a touchdown catch, or catch at all in college football. But in the NFL, didn't catch a single pass or touchdown in college. In the NFL, he caught 955 passes, 116 touchdown catches, the most touchdown catches by a tight end in NFL history. More than Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez. Antonio Gates is probably going to make it into the Hall of Fame. He's seventh all-time in touchdown catches, and he's the number one all-time tight end catching. He's, he's No tight end in NFL history has more touchdown catches than Antonio Gates. How awesome is that, man? Undrafted free agent who didn't even play college football became a Hall of Famer broke records at the tight end position, and changed the tight end position forever. He was an eight-time Pro Bowler. He had 11,841 receiving yards. And here's how Antonio Gates changed the tight end position. He made it so that guys who played basketball realized, hey, I might not make it to the NBA, but I got a great physical ability, and I can go play tight end in the NFL. He changed the way the tight end position was viewed by scouts and by general managers and by people who know the game of football. When you watch a receiving tight end like Jimmy Graham, understand Jimmy Graham, who played one year of football at Miami, mostly played basketball his whole life. He's a direct product of what Antonio Gates did. When you watch Travis Kelsey, a great receiving tight end, when you watch, there's so many great receiving tight ends in the NFL where people recognize this guy's not the fastest, but dang, he can rebound. He can catch. He can use his big body. That happened because of Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates changed the way people viewed the tight end position, and he showed what can happen when you have an athletic tight end who can make incredible catches. Antonio Gates, thank you for your contribution to the game of football. Okay, uh, one more career funeral, career memorial maybe, we'll call it. Is that a better... You know, what's more clickbaity is a question. <laughs> Hate to say it, but let's be honest, right? What's a more interesting title to click on? Career funeral? That sounds like you did something wrong. Career memorial? Eh, he's just going to say nice stuff. You know, I, don't, I think I would click on career funeral. I'll go, well, I won't actually do this, but it's like I'll make like a face like, <gasps> oh no, like a David Dobrik style thumbnail. Like, ah, like have a guy jumping out. I don't even know. No, never mind. That's a bad joke. Um. I'm alone, man. I'm alone in a room. Talk about sports for hours and hours and hours by myself. You try it. It's not as easy, not as, easy as you think, especially when you have a sinus infection. Um, Jalen Hurts' college career is over. And I have no idea what's going to happen to Jalen Hurts' career as a quarterback in the NFL. But I want to celebrate Jalen Hurts' college career. As a quarterback, he had a special, special career in college. It starts in the 2016 season. Jalen Hurts was a freshman quarterback at Alabama, and he led his team to the national championship where they lost. As a freshman, Jalen Hurts lost the national championship to Deshaun Watson and Clemson, 35-31. to Now the next year, in his sophomore year, he got Alabama back to the national championship. Again, for the second year in a row, Jalen Hurts found himself the starting quarterback of Alabama in the national championship game. Play in Georgia. Georgia against Alabama. National championship the 2017 season. But at halftime Alabama was losing 13-0. to 
And so what Alabama did was benched Jalen Hurts, their starting quarterback, and they put in freshman quarterback Tua Tungavaloa. And freshman Tua was phenomenal. He led them back into the game, and Alabama won the national championship. They beat Georgia, shocked the world. Came back from behind with a freshman quarterback off the bench. And the way that Jalen Hurts handled being benched is the reason why we're talking about him. We're going to get into his accomplishments, the things he did as a player and his statistics, and that's amazing. But the way Jalen Hurts handled being benched is something I will never, ever forget as long as I live. I'm always going to tell this story, and I'm always going to appreciate it. He's always going to be one of my favorite college football players of all time because of this. He showed so much grace and so much class, so much maturity. He said, I'm a team player. He literally said that in an interview. And when he was benched, Jalen Hurts had a choice and made a choice to have a positive attitude. He celebrated with Tua, the guy who replaced him. When Tua threw a touchdown pass, Jalen Hurts gave him a hug, celebrated him. He was happy for him, happy for his teammate, happy for the rest of his teammates. Alabama won the national championship. And guess what? Jalen Hurts wasn't the star and he handled it well. He was so mature beyond his years. I went, wow, this guy is incredible. And here's what's interesting. Instead of immediately transferring, Jalen Hurts could have said, I got benched in the national championship game. I'm going to transfer. I'm out. No, he stayed for his third season at Alabama. And what's interesting is that next year, yeah, Jalen Hurts played a little bit off the bench when they were winning by a lot. They'd put in Jalen Hurts at quarterback. But Jalen Hurts really didn't play much football at all until the SEC championship game. Guess what? Once again, about a year later after getting benched, Alabama was playing Georgia again. And this time in the second half, Tua got hurt. And guess who had to come off the bench against Georgia? Not Tua. This time, the guy coming off the bench was Jalen Hurts. Georgia was leading 28-21. to Jalen Hurts came back into the game. or Sorry, came into the game for the first time. He's on the bench. He's a backup. Came off the bench, scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, threw one, ran for one, led Alabama to victory in the SEC championship game over Georgia. Got them into the college football playoff. Beautiful, beautiful, cool story. How odd and how interesting is that? The 2017 season at the end, Jalen Hurts got benched against Georgia. He stayed benched until the next season against Georgia again. He came off the bench and saved the day. That's beautiful. I could not write a script better than that if I tried to. He was the guy who led them back. It's such a cool story, man. And then for his senior season, Jalen Hurts decided to transfer to Oklahoma. Nobody was upset. It was totally understandable. He wanted to be a starter. And he had paid his dues at Alabama, whatever that means. He sure did. He sure did the time. He sure earned the right to leave. Not that you really had to anyway, but he, he definitely, if anybody did, Jalen Hurts earned the right. And his senior year at Oklahoma, he threw for 3,851 yards, 32 touchdowns. He also ran for another 1,298 yards and another 20 more touchdowns. And Jalen Hurts came second in the Heisman voting behind Joe Burrow, who Joe Burrow deserved to win it. Jalen Hurts was right there knocking at the doorstep right behind him. If Joe Burrow doesn't exist, Jalen Hurts won the Heisman, would have won the Heisman Trophy last year. And he is, what's even cooler is Alabama didn't make it into the college football playoff 
and Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma did. Now, he got his butt kicked. That's fine. To me, that's just crazy. Your old team doesn't get in. You do? And you go off, and you get second of the Heisman voting? Man. How crazy was it? Going into last year, two of the Heisman favorites were Tua, who was at Alabama, and Jalen Hurts, who used to be at Alabama. What? Ah, that's unbelievable. So Jalen Hurts had a special college football career. It was so cool. He got to be the man at the end. He got to go to Oklahoma, dominate, have a team that believed in him, built around him. I got to watch so many Jalen Hurts interviews where he gave fascinating, mature, interesting answers. And all he showed as a quarterback was the, the moxie and the attitude of a man on a mission. He was a guy going for it, trying to win a championship, trying to prove to the world how great he was and what he was. And, and not even, I don't think it was even about proving to people. I think it was about him winning. He was so hungry to win and so hungry to succeed and play well. And he did the work, man. He worked his butt off. So, yeah, Jalen Hurts finished really successfully being the man. But the thing I will always, always remember and always, always appreciate about Jalen Hurts was the maturity he showed when he was benched. I wish I could show that much maturity when someone took my spot, took my job. I got benched once. I didn't handle it well at all. I was like, no way, I'm not. If you don't want me, I'm out. Fine, bye. Bye. Jalen Hurts didn't do that. <laughs> he handled things very admirably. And uh, man, I uh, I just, that's what Jalen Hurts, you know, we did this, this segment, you know, career funerals. And we talked about Jalen Hurts, or excuse me, uh, Darren Sproles contributed to the game of football. And Antonio Gates contributed to the game of football. So did Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a shining example for years of how to handle adversity and maturity. That's the legacy Jalen Hurts will leave. Who knows what kind of legacy he will leave in the NFL? I don't know. But the legacy that Jalen Hurts leaves in college football and the legacy I will always remember Jalen Hurts for, no matter what happens to him in the future, is he was the dude who was mature and handled being benched well. And I will tell that story over and over again for years. Nobody has earned my respect the same way with the same amount of maturity as Jalen Hurts. I Here's the thing. It's one thing to be mature when you have time to think about it. Right, like... Everybody's mature in hindsight. You go, yeah, I should have handled it that way. But when you're in the thick of things and you have a, you have to, a, a seconds to react. And then you react with such a kind, gracious heart that Jalen Hurts reacted to. Again, in the national championship, he got benched at halftime. During the third quarter, he was celebrating with his team. He didn't, he didn't need time to grieve. I'm sure he did. I'm sure it took a moment to breathe. But man, he bounced back quick. Man, his first step was a good step in the right direction with graciousness, with positivity. I cannot believe I am in awe of Jalen Hurts and the maturity he showed after getting benched in the national championship as the starting quarterback of Alabama. I will never again probably see a moment like that in my life, and I will always be grateful for that. So Jalen Hurts, round of applause, man. If you're driving, don't clap. You're driving. (laughs) Jalen Hurts, um, thank you so much for your contribution to the game of football. The shining example you are forever. Coaches are going to use you and talk about you in their talks before games and before practices and before, before seasons. Like, How many coaches in the world are going to refer to Jalen Hurts over the years? So many. And that's because he was a guy with great character who acted with graciousness immediately. Didn't even hesitate to have grace and maturity. Jalen Hurts, thank you so much for your contribution to the game of football.
All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I want to end the show this way, the same way I always do. Uh, we talked about funerals, man. I went to a funeral one time. It was my brother's. Uh, four years ago, as of last weekend, last Saturday, four years ago, last Saturday, uh, my younger brother took his life. And uh, it was heartbreaking, painful, worst thing I've ever been through in my entire life. And I learned two valuable lessons through that experience. Number one is that if you're struggling, please go get help. Go get help. Don't suffer in silence. Um, my younger brother never shared anybody, never shared his struggles with anybody, never told anybody he was having a hard time. Uh, one day I came home, and uh, my brother Zane was dead on the floor. And, man, I'm telling you, I, I've held my dead brother. You, you don't want that. Nobody wants that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anybody. Uh, I, I want as few dead bodies in the world as possible. And so... Um, please, I'm encouraging you and asking you if you're struggling, go get help. Don't suffer in silence. Don't keep your problems a secret. If you're having tough thoughts, go get help. Uh, I'm encouraged. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. If you have no one else to talk to, call that number. If you have someone to talk to, talk to them. Talk to a school counselor. Talk to a teacher. Talk to a coach. Talk to a brother. Talk to a parent. Talk to somebody. Do not suffer in silence. Don't leave planet Earth without getting help first, please. And please just don't. Please just don't leave planet Earth. I don't, we all want you here. We all want you here. And man, I want you to go get help. And the, the second painful lesson I learned is for other people out there, you know, I, I could have done a better job reaching out to my brother and making it clear to him I was there for him, that I cared about him, that I had his back, that he could talk to me, that he could come to me. You know, I tell people go get help, but make sure the door is open. Make sure people in your life know you're a safe person to come talk to to get help that you're there for them, that you love them, that you want the best for them, that you're not going to judge them. You know, my brother and I had all these conversations. That we, we, we worked together. We played Halo together. We spent a lot of time together. We played catch constantly. And we talked about video games and movies and sports and girls, and we never had a conversation with a lot of depth. And my brother, I read his notes when he died, man. He was a philosophical dude with really interesting thoughts, and I wish I'd asked him questions. I wish I'd talked to him about that stuff. So I encourage you, don't be afraid to have conversations with a little bit more depth, man. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. Don't be afraid to talk about things that are challenging and make you grow as a person. Don't just have shallow conversations. I encourage you guys. So remember, if you're struggling, go get help and make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Give them a hug. Tell the people you care about them. Uh, today's Valentine's Day, a really tough day for some people. You're out there feeling lonely. I, I'll tell you what, man, I've been there. I have been there. Uh, I went through a breakup one time, worst breakup of my entire life. Uh, just felt like I got kicked in the nuts and then someone ripped him off. Like it just was awful. So I've, I've been out, there. I've been lonely, man. I remember on a, on a new year's Eve <laughs> sitting alone and uh, it's midnight and I celebrated on my couch alone. Nobody to be with me. So if you're lonely out there, man, I, I feel you. I, I really understand. Um, and I just, I love you. I care for you. And please, if you're out there, uh, if you're a man, if you're a woman, whatever, celebrate your partner every day. Don't just buy them chocolates on the day you're supposed to. Don't just buy them flowers on the day you're supposed to. Buy them flowers on a random Thursday, on a random Monday morning, make them breakfast. Right? Give love to your partner when it's not expected, when it's not asked. Do the dishes for them when they don't expect it. Do nice things for them. Take them out to dinner. Tell them you love them. Tell them you care about them. Valentine's Day is dumb, in my opinion, because it, it's just for consumerism. You know, Restaurants are packed, and dinner is more expensive, and 
it's just for consumerism and that's fine. Like I, whatever, it makes sense. It's a, it's a very smart business move. Um, but the idea of Valentine's Day, a day you got to celebrate your partner, man. I'm telling you, just tell the person you love every single day. Tell the person you love them because you do, not because you're supposed to. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, currently, the plan is I'm leaving at 8 in the morning tomorrow to go to the Seattle Dragons football game at CenturyLink Stadium and uh, going with my dad. Should be fun. I think I have credentials. I know I do next weekend. I might not this weekend. I don't know if I'll be in the press box. I don't know if I'll be on the sidelines. I don't know if I'll be uh, in the stands just as a normal human being, which is probably more fun anyways. Um, I don't know, but I'll be there. Should be fun. Guys, I love you. Thank you so much for letting me chase my dreams and letting me uh, live the life I just am so grateful for. Uh, you're the best. I love you. Have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are.